Why Honesty is the Best Fiscal Policy, June the 18th, 2009. Abraham Lincoln famously said that you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. His successor, George W. Bush, is reported to have added, you can fool some of the people all the time and those are the ones you want to concentrate on. Some British politicians wished to follow that advice in the debate on public finances. Alistair Darling's refusal to do that was, it appears, the reason Gordon Brown, the Prime Minister, wanted to drop him. But Mr Darling is to be praised, not dropped, for his probity. As I've argued in two recent columns, tackling Britain's fiscal debacle May 7th and end Britain's phony fiscal war June 4th, the fiscal position has become a huge medium-term challenge. It is also an obvious symptom of gross policy failure. Structural public sector net borrowing is estimated by the Treasury at 9.8% of gross domestic product this financial year. This horrendous figure is the result of four mistakes. An overestimate of sustainable GDP, slippage in the fiscal position in the years leading up to the crisis, an exaggeration of sustainable revenue and a surge in real spending as a result of unexpectedly low inflation. Next financial year, as a result, the British government is forecast to spend £4 for every £3 it receives. More precisely, spending is forecast at 48.1% of GDP in 2010-11, up from 40.8% in 2008-9. And current receipts are forecast at 36.2% of GDP, down from 36.9%, in 2008-09. By 2013-14, spending is forecast to be down to 43.4% of GDP, while receipts rise to 37.9%. Thus, under Labour's plans, three-quarters of the improvement in the fiscal position would come from a fall in public spending relative to GDP. Spending is to grow far more slowly than GDP over many years. Indeed, under plausible assumptions for at least a decade. So what did my former colleague Ed Balls, now the schools minister, mean when he insisted that Labour could afford real increases in spending on schools and hospitals after 2011? His political goal is clearly to open clear red water between Labour and Tories. But does his claim also make sense? The answer is yes and no. My colleague Chris Giles has worked out what a yes answer might mean. Assume the overall spending figures put forward in the budget, which includes a massive 17% annualised real cut in net public investment between 2010-11 and 2013-14. After the now inevitable increases in debt service and social security spending, real current spending would fall at an annualised rate of 0.7%, over these three years. Suppose that spending on health and education were kept level in real terms, then real current spending on everything else, again apart from debt interest and social security, must fall at an annual rate of 3.1% a year. Evidently, if spending on health and education were to be increased significantly in real terms, cuts in other areas would have to be savage. This is why the answer must also be no. If re-elected, Labour could increase real spending on health and education, but under its own forecasts, other spending would have to be cut fiercely, unless it were to run even 
bigger fiscal deficits than now planned. So cuts in real spending are quite as inevitable under Labour as under the Conservatives. The only question is where those cuts might fall. Now, how might Labour escape this trap? One possibility is to campaign against the Treasury's assumptions. It is certainly possible that Mr Darling is too pessimistic, just as his predecessor, Mr Brown, was too optimistic. At this stage, we simply do not know. Yet it would surely be risky to hope for the best, and it would also be embarrassing to reject the forecasts of Labour's own Chancellor. Another possibility would be to argue for higher taxes. Here the difficulty is the numbers would be so large. Merely to eliminate the reduction in public spending as a share of GDP planned only for the three years after 2010-11, receipts must rise by 5% of GDP, or £60 billion in current prices, to reach 41% of GDP. This will be equivalent to raising the basic rate of income tax by 12p in the pound. The great American satirist H.L. Mencken once declared that nobody ever went broke underestimating the taste of the great American public. I am more worried by a political version of this cynical view. The idea has grown up among politicians that nobody ever lost an election by underestimating the electorate's intelligence. But at the heart of the next general election will be hard choices for whoever wins. A democracy ought to debate those alternatives openly and honestly. Unless the economy recovers its lost output, the fiscal position will demand tough spending cuts or huge increases in taxation. Indeed, it will probably require a great deal of both. Mr Darling has recognised that simple reality. So have the Conservatives, but does Mr Brown. He and his colleagues are surely entitled to campaign for higher real spending on health and education, but they also need to say how they plan to pay for it. Anything less is an insult to the electorate's intelligence.